Well, hello again, magnificent human being. What a privilege and honor to be with you today. I hope that you're having a magnificent day, sending you a massive hug through the airwaves. We have a fantastic episode of the show for you today. We have Oren J. Sofer on, and we are talking about a masterclass on the art of communication, conversation, and connection. We cover a lot of ground in this podcast. It's super practical. It is very deep. And we are going to cover things like learning to listen, actually listen, three basic steps in effective communication, leading with presence, uh, coming from a state of curiosity and care, two powerful intentions of a conversation, uh, focusing on what matters, why giving someone your full attention is incredibly powerful, uh, why listening is an act of kindness, a very powerful Buddha quote, uh, giving yourself compassion how to transform the harsh inner critic, developing a healthy relationship with yourself, uh, how to choose a religion, uh, exploring religious histories, why we are not separate from anything. So this is a fantastic episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. If you like it, please take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, tag me at Matt Belair, share it on Facebook, tag me as well. That's amazing. Um, You can leave a review in iTunes. Uh, It takes a moment, leave a review. It helps immensely with algorithms It inspires other people to listen to the show. So taking a moment to do that really helps. Also, Patreon. If you want to just toss $1, something you don't even think about, if a small percentage of the audience does that, um, I should be able to get food and sandwiches, no problem. Um, And also fix random house stuff that needs to be fixed. Um, So if you want to support over there, go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair. And I want to thank my friend Mitch Thibault, my homie. After all these years hooking it up, thanks, man. And Francis Gordon for tossing a buck in the bucket. It doesn't have to be much, but it does go a massively long way. So thank you, thank you, thank you. But the best thing that you can do if you want to support this show is to do one kind act for another human being today. Pick up a piece of trash, pay it forward, say a kind word, listen, let somebody in in traffic, uh, volunteer, do anything. One kind act, but even better, take the kindness challenge, three kind acts a day for a week. You'll probably get a universe. Universal wink, something weird will happen just for you, and it'll be amazing. I want to thank my podcast sponsor today, the Procabulary course. Last time I forgot to say, go to procabulary.org, but I've taken a ton of personal development development courses and the art and power of language is so important basically procabulary is a master class on language it will improve the quality of your communication for your internal dialogue so how you shape uh, your internal world which will affect your external world so you can expect more confidence better focus clearer purpose better relationships stronger presence at work and in friendships and anywhere you take it um there's a podcast with mark england episode 97 I believe you can listen to us do a deep dive on the course and since then he has had tremendous success with individuals and organizations Um, again it's a very powerful course so check it out procabulary.org and if you use the code word magic you will save $100 and I highly recommend it it is awesome so that's about it Uh, go to mattbelair.com sign up for the email list to get a free lucid dreaming ebook and guided meditation if you go forward slash lucid dreaming and for those of you guys who are interested in coaching, leveling up, uh, discovering your life purpose, 
getting that extra 1% in peak performance, wherever you are on the spectrum. If you are interested in diving deep and you want some support, hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com or fill out the coaching form, mattbelair.com forward slash coaching, and we can dive deep on everything that we are talking about in the podcast and give you the techniques and the strategies that work and cut through all of the metaphysical baloney that doesn't work right into the stuff that does so you can experience fantastic results. So if you're interested in that, hit me up, Matt at ZenAthlete.com. And if you want me to come in and do something for your organization, for your staff or your employees, all the same, hit me up. So that's it. Let's get into this today's episode. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And now just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, empowerment, connection, and ready to take on this amazing episode with Oren J. Sofer. Hello and welcome to the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest teaches meditation and communication retreats and workshops nationally. He is a member of the Spirit Rock Teachers Council and a certified trainer of nonviolent communication and a somatic experiencing practitioner for the healing of trauma. He creates mindfulness programs for organizations and apps from Kaiser Permanente to 10% Happier. He also holds a degree in comparative religion from Columbia University and is the author of Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication. Welcome to the show, Oren J. Sofer. Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here with you. Yes, I'm happy to have you on the show. We, we first connected... Uh, I got some feedback. Could you hear that? I think we're good now. Okay, cool. Yeah, we first connected a few months ago and I got to look at your work and it's taken us a while to connect that you're a, you're a busy man. You're doing Indeed. workshops, you're doing a lot of things. So why don't you um, share with the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do and what you're working on? Yeah, totally. So I started meditating when I was about 19 or 20, changed my life, uh, really just transformed the whole trajectory of what I was doing and opened my eyes to the possibility of having more peace and clarity um, and using the opportunity of being alive, being human, um, to mature in a more spiritual way and to do more good on the planet. And so what I found after about five or six years of meditating was that the spiritual practice was going really well, but my relationships uh, were not necessarily benefiting, that things weren't showing up in the conversations with the people that I worked with, the people that I loved in my life. So that was when I started studying communication, uh, particularly this one form of communication called nonviolent communication, which is what my book is based on. And what I found is that uh, we can translate the work that we do internally in meditation into our conversations and relationships. And that actually that mindfulness and awareness is the prerequisite. It's kind of like the foundation of having a meaningful conversation, uh, a more effective conversation, and deepening our relationships with other people. So my work today is really based around, number one, helping people to understand their own mind and to live a more fulfilling, meaningful life by having more clarity internally and then translating that into their relationships. How do we actually take our values and the things that we care most deeply about in our heart and make sure that that shows up in our conversations and our relationships with the people we work with and the people we love? 
That sounds pretty good to me. Um, I think that a lot of people out there really aren't trained. Like it's not something that we're taught naturally, you know, like how to communicate, how to communicate peacefully, how to uh, navigate conflict. You know, you're going to have conflict in family. You're going to have conflict in, in every situation in the workplace. And, and it's something that it's not a, a well-known skill anyway. So why don't we start there with some of the principles that you've learned for um, how people can apply this in a relationship or a work environment or a family environment. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first principles is that our conflicts and disagreements occur at the level of our strategies. And the strategies are the things that we want in life. Like, I want you to do the dishes, or, you know, I want you to take me out, or I want you to change this law, or... So th that's what we want. Those are the strategies. But the the, the deeper thing is that we're after something that's going to fulfill us. We We all have fundamental needs, these deeper longings or values. And the deeper we go in understanding why someone wants what they want, the less conflict there is. So if we stay at the level of strategy, what I want versus what you want, really there's nowhere to go because we're just arguing about this versus that. So the first skill is to try to learn how to listen in a different way, to listen for what's really important to somebody. What actually matters underneath what they're saying, underneath what they want, even underneath their views or beliefs or opinions, what is it that's actually important that we can relate to and connect with? And this is the uh, foundation of the whole, whole branch of psychology called humanistic psychology founded by Abraham Maslow, Carl Rogers, and others, which is this, this view, this, uh, this premise that part of what makes us human is that we are motivated to seek fulfillment in life and that at the root level, the things that bring fulfillment to us as human beings is universal. That we all want to be happy. We all want to be understood. We want to feel seen and valued. We want a meaningful way to contribute. We need things like touch and play and joy and humor creativity. These are, these are what are known as universal human needs. So we start to learn how to actually uh, listen and also uh, speak and share what's true for us, uh, not only in terms of what we would like from someone or what they want from us, but why. Why does it matter? What's, what's actually important? And when we can understand one another and connect on that level, there's a lot more room to be creative uh, and we sense one another's humanity because we're at a deeper level in the conversation. So this is the principle here. This is what I call focusing on what matters, which I talk about in the book. And it's a way to train ourselves to listen and speak uh, on another level than we usually do. Yeah, I definitely agree with the listening part. You know, I hear, heard it put before that, you know, most people are listening, just waiting to talk. They're just like, you know, there's, there's no active listening and the seeking of understanding I feel is really important. So the first question that I have would be, what about when it's like one-sided, if it's like, say your boss at work, or let's say you're in a partner and it's like kind of abusive and, and there's no listening. They're not participating in the way to seek understanding. It's a little mm -hmm. bit of a, a one-sided show. Do you have any recommendations for that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, listening is a powerful tool. Um, conversations and relationships are co-created. So when one person shifts how they're showing up and how they're relating, uh, by definition, that's going to shift the relationship and the conversation. That said, there are exceptions. So if there's somebody who uh, is just totally unwilling 
to engage in a different way, then that requires a different approach. So, um, you know, taking care of ourselves, having self-respect uh, and, and honoring our own dignity is really important. Um, there's a difference, I think, in how these tools are used when we're at the same level in terms of our power versus when someone has more power over us, for example, in a, in a professional situation, right? If we're talking to our boss. So let's start with the simpler situation where we're on the same level. We're friends, we're family members, maybe we're in a relationship. Um, in those situations, I think the one of the moves that's important is to be able to set a limit with the other person around our values, um, what's important and how we want to be carrying out the conversation, setting that limit while still staying open to hearing one another uh, and engaging. So it might sound something like, I really want to hear what you have to say and the way that you're speaking to me right now is not okay, right? Or, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in working this out and I got to say that uh, so far the way the conversation's going is just really making it challenging for me. Um, wondering if we could take a step back and start over. So, you know, it's, it's setting a limit around, you use the word abusive. So if someone's really not treating me with the respect and the dignity that I want, I'm not just going to keep listening, right? I'm going to, I'm going to actually set a boundary and stand up for myself, but I want to do that in a way that's still in line with my values. That's not stooping to that level. And that keeps the door open uh, for a different kind of conversation. Yeah, I think those are really great insights. And I don't know if you label them in the book, but I was thinking of like helpful communication phrases when you said, I want to hear what you have to say, mm -hmm. but the way you're speaking to me is not okay. So do you have a framework for uh, people going in and navigating tricky situations, like conflict or in general, uh, kind of two questions in one, but more yeah. phrases that are helpful because even that phrase alone, what I think happens with, with people when they're in a communication and it's challenging and they're getting angry, they don't, they're just kind of now speaking out of anger and emotion and, and, and they're kind of lost. But if you have one of those phrases, this is helpful because even though you're angry, you can say this phrase and yeah. you can even say it angrily, but you're able to at least put some words and make it a little bit more constructive. Yeah. Yeah. Great, Matt. So there's a, yeah, there are a few questions in there. So yes, absolutely. I've got uh, both in the book, uh, say what you mean and on my website, actually, it, there is a list of useful communication phrases and you can go to my website orangesofer.com and download those for free. Um, and they're also in the book and I agree wholeheartedly. It's why I included them when we are activated under pressure in the heat of the moment. It's really hard to know what words to say, which is why training in communication is so important, right? Is we actually, um, just like we train in anything else, just like we train in a sport, we train to play music, um, we train in meditation, we can train in communication so that when we're in those high pressure situations, we have some skills to fall back on. And memorizing a few key phrases and having those in your back pocket is super helpful in intense conversations. You also asked about, you know, is there like a, a template? Or is there some sort of like a guide for how people can do this? Absolutely. So the whole book is structured around three basic steps to having 
more effective conversations and meaningful relationships. We've already talked about one of those, focus on what matters, which is about um, not just listening, but actually understanding and identifying what's most important to ourselves or someone else in a situation. Um, but before that, we have to look at the internal foundation of communication. So much of communication is actually not about what we say, right? It's not in the words because someone can say something that's totally on the surface. If you were to read the words, it's like, oh, they're being very nice, right? Uh, but they can say it in such a way that it's digging at us or that they're making fun of us or that we don't trust them at all. So communication is really about where we're coming from inside and the quality of understanding or connection that we can create with somebody. So, so there are three steps. So the first step, and we can get into these more if we want, but I'll just run, I'll just run down them right now briefly. The first step is to lead with presence. And that means that we actually show up and give someone our full attention. And that changes everything, changes everything inside ourselves, and it changes everything in the relationship. And it's not that easy to do. There's a lot of forces going against that. So that's number one, lead with presence. Number two, come from curiosity and care. So actually be aware of your intention in a conversation. Don't just be running on automatic. And two of the most powerful intentions that we can have in a conversation are number one, to be curious, to actually get interested. Like what's going on for you? Where are you actually coming from? Let me see if I can understand you. Even if I disagree, that starts to shift things because the other person gets the sense like, okay, you're actually trying to hear my point of view, even if you disagree. Now we're actually having a conversation. And the second intention is care. Now that doesn't mean that we're friends with everyone. That doesn't mean that we're nice all the time. Let's be realistic. We all have our preferences. There's some people we like, there's some people we don't. What care means is it means that we know what we care about. It means that I don't lose touch with my own heart or my own values in the conversation, regardless of the other person's behavior or words. I don't have to worry about how they behave. I only need to worry about how I respond. So coming from curiosity and care means that I'm walking my walk. I'm living with integrity. I'm connected to what's true for me in the way that I'm relating. And then the third step, which we've touched on, is to focus on what matters. And that's about starting to get into the actual kind of technical skills of communication. Like, how do I say what's up for me without blaming the other person? You know, how do I hear what you've got on your mind, even if you are believing a story that says that, you know, a lot of judgments about me? How do I hear what's going on for you without taking on any of that extra stuff? That's about learning to focus on what matters. Those are really great points. And I think even the first one, just coming at it with presence is massive and seeking understanding and very few people communicate like that. And a lot of people, you know, you're also a meditation teacher and people ask me a lot of questions about meditation, the right way, the wrong way, all this different thing. Well, anything that holds your focus is, is a meditation. It's not the traditional style. So even if you wanted to practice meditation and you practice active listening, that counts. Just get out of your head and just listen and seek understanding and ask questions and get feedback. So that's a great opportunity for you to improve your listening and communication skills. Also, your focus, your attention, and it will shift the dynamic right away because there is, like you said, there's also these unconscious cues and people will know that you're listening. 
and they'll feel heard. They'll be much more open. They'll be much more receptive. It's a very, very powerful principle as well as the other ones. So you said something at the end there that I'd love to dive a little deeper on. Mm -hmm. How do we communicate where without blaming or condemning, let's say that you have a, a standard, yeah. like it could be a simple thing and say, uh, you, you know, you said you were going to do this and you didn't do it. And, and then now you're making all these excuses and, and they're running, you know, they, they're in their own mind. They might be a little bit, uh, not aware of their impact and, and mm -hmm. maybe they don't even want to, um, accept what they're doing. And I think a lot of times this happens in work or in close situations where you're trying to hold up integrity, right? And, and, and call it out. But then the reaction you get from calling it out, even compassionately, can mm -hmm. create a, an undesired response. Mm -hmm. But you're like, you know, like you might have a kid and you say, hey, you can't, you know, throw the baseball in the house, you smash the window, right? And, and then, you know, that's something, or it might be at work and you say, Hey, look, like, I appreciate your, your, this is your scenario, but it's infringing on me in a, in a terrible way. And yeah. I, so, you know what I'm trying to say? I'm giving I terrible so. examples, but you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So how do we, how do we say what's up for us without, uh, without digging ourselves further into a hole with the other person? Um, so there's a few things here, and it's important for me um, to differentiate between the principles behind the communication techniques and the tools and the techniques themselves. And what's more important is the principle. Uh, and the reason I say this is because, again, communication is about a, it's about a connection and an understanding. It's about are we hearing one another, right? So. Um, any of the stuff that I share when I'm teaching, I try to make it really clear. Don't focus on what's the right way to say this. If we, if we focus on what's the right way to say this, we usually get tripped up and we end up speaking in ways that are awkward or convoluted or really complicated. And other people are like, dude, what are you saying? Will you just speak English, please? So the training in the actual techniques, um, is meant to help us actually transform our consciousness where we're coming from and how we're seeing the situation. So I've been speaking fairly generally. What, what am I talking about? So one principle, for example, the less blame and criticism in our words, the easier it is for other people to hear us, right? So that's obvious. None of us like to be blamed, judged, or criticized. If you're going to come at someone and blame them, they're going to get defensive, most of the time. That's our natural response. So taking that principle to say, okay, how can I say what's true for me in terms of my own experience rather than putting it on you and blaming you? So our tendency, our habit, you know, we all, even though we don't have explicit training in communication, you referred to this earlier, you know, we communicate all day long. We rely on it for our personal life. We rely on it for advancing in our career professionally, but we don't have any training in it. Well, we don't have any explicit training, but actually all of us have a lot of implicit training in communication. In fact, all communication is learned. It's all been trained by society, by our family, by our culture, by our religion. So how have we been trained? Well, if you're doing something that I don't like, my training, my habit is to blame you, is to see that there's something wrong with you. So if you're my partner and um, 
you know, you uh, like things neater than I do in the house. You become a neat freak, controlling, anal, uh, obsessive, right? But if the tables are turned and I'm the one who likes things a little bit tidier, now you're a slob, you're messy, you're inconsiderate, you're lazy. Or um, if I want to spend more time together with a friend or an intimate partner, right? Then the, the, I want to spend more time together. Now you appear to me, you're being aloof, you're being cold, you're distant. Turn it around and you're needy, dependent, clingy, right? So this is the way our mind is conditioned. That when, when something's not working for us, we make it about the other person, right? It's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you so? You're so this. Has that ever helped? Has anyone ever responded to blame by saying, oh, thank you for enlightening me. I see the error of my ways. I will now, you know, do the, the right thing because you have educated me. Like, no, people say like, what's your problem? Get off my case. You're being crazy. They, they push back. So how do we turn that around? So the trick here is to recognize that when, when something's not working for me, when I don't like someone else's behavior, when I want to communicate a message about that, I've got to know what it is that's important to me about that instead of projecting it out there onto the other person. So I want to know how do I feel and not like I feel attacked or I feel disregarded or I feel judged. That's still telling a story about the other person, right? You're judging me. You're disregarding me. You're ignoring me. No, no, no. How you actually feel. Do you feel hurt? Do you feel angry? Do you feel confused? Do you feel frustrated? What's the actual emotion that's going on in you? There's nothing to argue with there. If I tell you how I actually feel, the emotions that are actually present in me, that's the truth of my experience. There's, there's no blame there. There's nothing to argue about. It's just this is the emotion that's actually present for me. More important than that, though, is why. And this is where we get back to what, what actually matters, our needs, what's important to us. So you know, um, the report was, was late at work. I'm feeling really frustrated and a little bit confused because I really need to know that I can depend on, on, um, on team members and, uh, you know, keeping agreements is really important to me because I want us to do the best job we can. So framing things in terms of why, what matters, what's important, right? If you're talking about the situation at home with your partner, it's like, sweetie, you know, I feel so stressed when I see all the dishes piled up in the sink and uh, the trash full. It's just, uh, it's so nice for me when the house is clean because I feel like I can relax and I feel like I can be at ease at home, right? So, so I'm framing things not in terms of what's wrong with you, but in terms of what I care about and what's important to me. And that tends to open people's minds up because we're not making it about them. We're inviting them to actually recognize, look, this is, this is just how I roll. This is how I like to do things. Could we talk about it? And that's the last step is, is inviting the other person into a dialogue, into an exploration. Instead of laying a demand on them, you've got to take out the trash or next time you have to get this report done. But actually inquiring, you know, what's, what's going on for you? I'd love to understand more about why the report was late. Are there other things that I'm unaware of? Was my you know, request originally unrealistic? And we didn't talk about that. Is there something in the workflow that we need to discuss? 
you know, or if it's back on the home front, you know, can we talk about how we share the house chores in a way that works for both of us? So we're looking at, a, at an orientation that's about collaboration. That's about how do we get what matters, not just for me, but for you together on the table. And then we explore where to go from there. That's brilliant, man. It's, it's so simple and it changes the, dan- the dynamic of communication drastically um, from that perspective. And, I, and the other person too, the one that you're communicating with, they're not going to feel attacked or blamed or they're not going to be in a defensive situ- situation. Whenever we become defensive, there's no effective communication really. You know, there's very little that's going to get done and you're really just about defending and, have, and defending your point of view and, and really just hammering that home. And like you said before too, it's like – doesn't really work that well you know no side is really landing and yeah. so very simple principle and, and very powerful yeah i'm go ahead i was gonna say so let's go back to the presence piece because it's as you were pointing out it's really important and it's one of the things that is actually least emphasized or acknowledged in communication and relationship training so um we can feel it when someone's not present with us. They could be looking us right in the eyes, you know, and we're like, hello, is anybody home? Right. And vice versa, when someone actually shows up, when they really give us their full attention, it says something really powerful before any of the words, right? It says you matter or this conversation matters to me. What we're talking about here is important enough that I'm going to give you one of the most valuable resources I have in my life, my time and my attention. And that starts to change the whole atmosphere of the conversation when we actually are able to fully show up and give someone our attention. And, you know, I was, um, one of the things I do, I teach uh, workshops and, and retreats. So people get together for a day, a weekend, or a whole week, and we practice. We practice meditation. We go inside, we quiet the mind, um, come to understand ourselves better. And then we bring those understandings into conversation. We practice the communication tools in a very focused uh, and structured way to start to change and transform some of those habits that we've picked up along the way. So at the end of one communication retreat I was teaching last summer, uh, we passed the mic around. Everyone was sharing a little bit about Uh, what they learned, what they were taking away. And so the microphone comes around to this one uh, older white gentleman from the Midwest, kind of cowboy type, mid-70s. He'd been pretty quiet the whole week. So I was kind of curious, you know, what's what's this guy taking away from here? What, What did he learn? So he gets the mic, he takes a long pause, and he says, what I'm leaving here with today is I realize that my wife is the person I talk to the most, but talk with the least. Now, I'm going to change that when I go home. So that's the power of learning to lead with presence. We recognize there's another human being in front of us. And that opens the door to actually having a mutual exchange, which is the foundation of a real dialogue. Yeah, 100%. It is extremely powerful. For me, 
I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty good communicator. I started to look at communication and hypnosis and, and all those things when I was young. I wanted to um, just understand my mind, but also how to connect with people. And, and active listening was something that I learned really early on. And I'm still practicing. I'm definitely not perfect at it. However, when I remember to apply the presence that you're speaking of right now, it is absolutely phenomenal the feedback you receive and I invite people to just try that the next you know put a little note on your phone or, or in your journal or whatever and just make it a point to practice really active listening be quiet listen um, see if you you know one of the things that I like to do sometimes is once they're done is, is feedback a little bit of and you'll notice if you listen to the podcast I do it often is I'll repeat back a little bit of what they said so I seek understanding and people will often tell me like, I've never really told anyone this or, you know, you're really uh, great to talk to and you make them feel good because very few people out there are going around really feeling heard mm-hmm. in our culture. And with yeah. all the distractions we have, with all of the crap, you know, we're watching TV while we're talking to the partner or talking to a buddy, we're on the phone and we've got it on speaker. So we've got Instagram up and no one's listening to anyone. And so this, this principle is incredibly powerful and it'll shape your influence. If you're looking mm-hmm. to be uh, more influential, more present, more, you'll learn faster. Every single facet of your life will get better from applying that one principle in a way you might not even expect is powerful. Yeah. And what you're talking about, Matt, is is how that sense of presence with another person opens the door to empathy, right? To actually being able to listen and connect and understand and the, the great healing power uh, that comes with empathy, which is such a deep need for us as human beings to actually be seen and understood and how little it costs, how little it actually costs us to show up and really make space for someone and really be genuinely open to hearing what's in their heart so that we can connect more and give someone that gift of really being received. And that, that builds the relationship. And I think this is one of the things that people often overlook when they ask about communication training. You know, how do I say this better? Or how do I deal with this situation? Or how do I handle it when someone does this? And inevitably, one of the things that across the board will help us to handle those situations and handle those communications is building a better relationship is just taking the time to really get to know one another, to listen, to bond, to share things outside of or beyond um, the specific task at hand. So this is particularly true in workplace situations. You know, if we're friends or we're family members, we have a bond, we have a connection. But at work where the purpose of our being together is rather narrow or limited, do we take the time to actually get to know the human being there. And if we do, and listening, as you were pointing out, is, is one of the best tools to do that, um, getting curious, you know, how was your weekend? Uh, you know, oh, I didn't know you, I didn't know like, you like basketball. That was a great game last night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was amazing. Being able to take that time to get to know one another, then when something difficult arises, we have a conflict or a disagreement, there's a context. There's actually a relationship. There's some trust. We have something to build on and hold the difficulty that's come up. Without that, things can get very challenging, even if we have great communication skills, because we, we don't have that foundation of trust and connection to build on. Yeah, 100%. In, in 
I just wanted to touch on as well, like it's such a gift to be listened to. You know, one of the things I'll suggest in the podcast and the pre and post is to do three kind acts a day. And when I was learning this, I was learning from uh, one of my mentors, David Lombear, who's a Mi'kmaq elder. And uh, he's just like, well, listening is a get, it's an act of kindness. And if you give someone your attention, you can realize you're, you're giving them a gift to express. And so it's good for you too, as well, to learn how to listen to that. And you're going to learn a lot, but it's also a gift. It's really kind to listen to somebody with your full attention. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. And you'll watch people shift when you do it. It's, it's really incredible. And in your, if we're in the workplace or in the world, I don't know if it's the, what the studies are. I've read it a, a bunch of years ago, but the number one motivator of people in the workplace is appreciation. Mm-hmm. And if you have appreciation for your employees or you feel appreciated, they're going to work way harder. People are going to do a lot more for you if they feel like they're appreciated. You have a real connection. It's not surface level. So when people are talking about, you know, performance and uh, workflow and synergy in teams, listening, the ability to listen, because you're going to literally know more about someone, you know, it's just like, do you care about this person? That's why a lot of the family dynamics are strong, especially in certain cultures, like my friends, Italian culture or Portuguese, or some of those that are, you know, really core structure, but there's a lot of like communication, a lot of dialogue. Everybody's kind of like my Italian buddies, like everyone's into the business a little bit, but they're, they're appreciated. You know what I mean? They're, they're Mm -hmm. heard there. If there's somebody needs something, they're there and you're building a real connection. It's a very powerful thing. So I'd let you can touch on that if you want. And I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, let's, let's make this, uh, more practical for people. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, big fan of, uh, you know, not just talking the theory, but how do we actually do it, right? So um, maybe we could, we could go back to the presence piece uh, if we want, because I, I really loved what you were talking about how, uh, about how listening and just having conversation can be a meditation. That's very much my, my approach to training and communication. But so with listening and particularly active listening, there are two things that I want to suggest for people. So number one, it's got to be genuine. It can't be a technique. If you're, if, you're, if you're using it as a technique, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to listen and then they're going to like me more or they'll, they'll work harder for me or they'll give me what I want. It doesn't work. People feel it. We can feel that, that intention, that control, that manipulation, that hidden agenda. So it's got to be genuine. So the first thing is to see, can I come from a genuine intention to understand? Inside, can I actually get curious? What's important to this person? What matters to them? So this is one practical tool that you can do is to just have that question in your own mind as you listen. Like what matters? What's important? And then get curious, really listen for it. Try to see if you can hear or discern what's important to this person. Another tool, Matt, you mentioned active listening. So one of the, uh, one of the benefits of that kind of listening is we are building understanding moment to moment. When we, uh, when we active listen, which is this, uh, often this process of not just listening, but saying back to someone what we're hearing, right? which is uh, also sometimes called a verbal reflection, uh, we're, we're giving them back what we heard or understood as a way of, number one, checking that we heard and understood accurately, but also giving the other person the experience of feeling heard right? Because I can listen to somebody and I can understand what they're saying, but they might not necessarily feel heard. 
or understood, particularly if it's a heated conversation or there's any conflict. Just because I understand doesn't mean they feel understood. Those are two different things. So how do we help someone feel understood? How do we give them the experience, the relief of feeling heard? Active listening is one way of doing that. And I like to talk more about reflecting before we respond offering back to someone what we've heard. So that the tool here, the tip here is to, when you do this, start with a short phrase that lets the other person know what you're doing and why. For example, let me see if I'm still with you. Or let me see if I've got it. Here's what I'm hearing. Tell me if I'm on point. This is what I'm getting from what you said. Let me see if, I, if, I've, if I'm accurate. So we just use a short phrase to lead in to the summary or the reflection that we're about to offer. And that kind of, number one, it reminds us of what we're doing. It helps us stay on track in the listening. And it signals to the other person, look, I'm, I'm trying to hear you. I'm, I'm making an effort to see if I'm, if I'm with you. Tell me if I've got it right. Yeah, a hundred percent. And all those, those points are really important to know and apply. And I think that it's one thing to hear them and it's another thing to practice. So these are very simple principles that you can practice. And when you do, you're really going to see the results. Um, I, I know how powerful they are because I've experienced and practiced most of them, but not always. I forget, you know, I'm in my own mind and I'm, I'm not listening at all, you know? And, you know, it's interesting you say the partner thing because I think, you know, my partner might be the worst one because I'm at home and it's like, I got, I'm trying to work, I'm trying to do the podcast and I don't give her that full attention. And so it's a nice reminder for me to do that, uh, you know, because it's important. And I, and when I'm active listening, she definitely, um, she definitely knows and, and appreciates it. And one of the questions I want to ask, I'm curious, have you, does this work reflect anything on how we communicate with ourselves? Because I know that the internal dialogue for most people is you wouldn't talk to your friend like that. You wouldn't talk to your mother like that. But for some reason, so many people have an internal dialogue that is not positive. It's not supportive. And one of the things that I drew out a while back and I was making it very clear for myself is what type of internal dialogue do I want for myself? And yeah. I drew it all out and, I, and I've mapped it out. And now I can say that I've made improvements, but it's not perfect by any means. But it's interesting that I'll do these podcasts and I'll do these work and I'll meditate and I'll do all that stuff. But still, my mind is unsupportive at times. So I'm curious mm. if, if your work has, it must from a meditation help to communicate with ourselves better. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad you bring it up, Matt, because it's such an important dimension of communication, right, is, is how we communicate with ourselves, And in many ways, that's where these tools need to start, right? Communication practice and healthy relationships begin with our relationship with ourself, right? If I don't have a good relationship with myself, how can I expect to have a good relationship with anyone else? Right? If I don't know myself, how can I expect to really be in relationship with someone else? Because who are they relating to? Right? So it's got to start with, our, uh, with a deepening of our connection with ourself and a transformation of that internal voice, that internal monologue. And um, it's tragic how our society and our culture trains us to be so hard on ourselves, so critical, so cruel, so judgmental. You know, if we, um, if there was somebody else in our life 
who spoke to us in the way that we speak to ourselves and said the kind of things that we say to ourselves, we would probably like not want to be around that person or think that they were the most obnoxious person in the world. Some of the ways that our mind can turn on ourselves. So how do we handle this? How do we actually, how do we work with that voice inside? Um, there, there are two primary uh, avenues for transforming that harsh inner critic and for having a different uh, relationship to oneself in the, in the inner monologue, the inner narrative. And the first, which is actually a little counterintuitive, the first is learning to strengthen and increase healthy mind states. So if we want to shift a habit or a pattern like that, we need something else to rely on. And, you know, as we all probably know, sometimes that voice can be uh, so cruel, so harsh that it's, it's really painful. So we need someplace else to turn, like to be able to change the channel inside. So strengthening uh, mind states like gratitude, appreciation, generosity, um, kindness, these are protective, these support resilience. Uh, so finding small ways, you mentioned the practice of doing three kind things a day, you know, or uh, taking a few moments at the beginning and the end of the day to just reflect on what we're grateful for. And not as an intellectual exercise, not as a like, oh, I should be grateful because, but actually feeling it, you know, like say, oh, wow, like that was so nice to, to take a walk with my sweetie and hold her hand like just the simple things and then to really feel and appreciate that, you know, or, oh, we had a really nice dinner. Like we ate a healthy dinner and we had time together to not overlook that and take that in. So when we, um, when we take the time to strengthen those qualities, it sort of, it starts to raise the baseline internally of well-being and resilience. And that starts to give us the context to transform that harsh inner voice. So that's one whole kind of avenue or branch of working with the voice. The other is starting to actually transform the messages themselves. So this is where that practice of empathy and listening uh, can be used internally. And in the nonviolent communication work that I do, we call this self-empathy. And what, it, what that means is that we, we turn that kind, caring, curious presence towards our own heart and mind. And whatever that voice is saying, we listen to it with a quality of interest, care, and understanding. And it's by listening and meeting that voice in that way, it starts to transform. Because what we, what we learn is that we learn that it's trying to help us. It just doesn't know any other way to do it. So when that voice says, you know, um, you're so disorganized, you'll never get it together. We say, whoa, wow, wow. Sounds like you're really upset about something here. Sounds like you really, you know, you really want to make sure that we stay on track and that we, we, we get things done uh, in a way that's efficient. Is that right? So we, we listen for the value. We listen for the, the, um, the core kind of objective or need behind those harsh messages. They're there to try to help. 
to try to protect us or keep us safe. They're just doing it in a, in a violent and harmful way. So we can disarm and transform that voice by listening underneath it for what it's trying to communicate and then having a little bit of a dialogue with it. And sometimes that dialogue includes pushing back and setting a boundary, just like it would with someone else in our life where we say, hey, 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 whoa, 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 slow down, slow down there. Like, I get that you're unhappy with how that project went, but saying that like, I'm worthless and I'll never amount to anything, that's just not true. You know, let's, let's, let's be honest here. We've got a lot of good qualities. We may have made a few mistakes. It didn't go the way we planned. Okay. But it's not okay to talk to me that way. But sometimes we actually need to kind of stand up for ourselves with that voice instead of just allowing it to, to knock us down. And it's, um, it takes work. It takes time. Um, I've worked with people where, you know, that voice is so strong, so loud, um, that sometimes we need to hear the opposite from the external world more first. Like we need to see our goodness and our value mirrored by others around us who we respect and trust in order to internalize it and build up that sense of like, no, it's okay. Like I'm all right here in order to, to counterbalance that voice. So those are, those are a few of my, my thoughts on that topic. Those are excellent. That, that's a really, really great feedback. I asked that question to quite a few guests because I think it's something that, again, most people struggle with. And it's so fascinating. Why, you know, I find it so fascinating why we're so terrible to ourselves. Very few people have a dialogue that's really supportive. You know? And when I was writing out for myself, really trying to tackle this problem with what I knew is like, who would I want my dialogue to be? Like, you know, you want it to be your mother. You want it to be your best friend. You want it to be all, your, you know, it should be in there just cheering you on. But unfortunately the way that the mind is programmed and culturally in society, it's, we're just looking at, we're being very critical. We're, and we're always looking for problems which help us in a way. So I love what you said is like, look for the deeper meaning. What is this trying to teach us? It's, it's mm -hmm. the only way it knows how to communicate and, and, and entertaining a dialogue. And when you were saying it, I was reminded by a really powerful uh, quote by the Buddha that I really love. And it says, uh, you yourself as much as anybody in the entire universe deserve your love, joy, and affection. Um, and I think there's one that's similar to that, but it's basically saying that, you know, you of anyone in the world deserves your love and compassion, yeah. you know, you to yourself, we're so willing to give it out, but why are we so yeah. harsh on ourselves? And for me, I can say that it's like a standard that I hold myself to on like this pinnacle level. I imagine in my mind what I'm capable of doing, where, you know, what I can do and everything that's short of that it's not good enough like i've worked whole entire days or weeks nonstop, but because my mind is able to imagine so much more it's still not enough and so mm -hmm. i don't go throughout the day and i'm not grateful and so your your strategy of at at night looking at you know what are you grateful for what did you do and i started yeah. to do that as a technique as well i said you know matt what are you proud of yourself what'd you do today even if it was a skateboard you're like you took care of your body you you did two podcasts you edited it. you can't design a course do 10 podcasts a day and do all this other stuff there's only so much you can do and you got to learn to be easier on yourself which is which is something that i'm i'm always i'm always trying so your your feedback and your points were really yeah. uh useful really practical right 
Thank you. Yeah. And you know, that, that quote from the Buddha, it's, it's a beautiful one. It's, it's one of the ones I love. It's uh, he says, he says, I've searched the whole universe, all quarters of the universe. And he says, and you won't find anyone more worthy of your love than you. And um, what that brings me to that I, I also wanted to share is another very powerful tool for healing that harsh inner critic is the, the practice of loving kindness meditation and compassion meditation. Both of those, um, particularly loving kindness meditation, where we begin with strengthening the, the, the quality, the heart quality of kindness, warmth, friendship with someone that it's easy to feel it for, like a good friend or a mentor, an aunt, an uncle. And then as, this, as that quality gets stronger, we then turn it inwards. And you can imagine someone like a friend or a mentor sending it to you and you receiving it or just offering it to yourself and taking it in. And I know for me in my own uh, meditation practice, uh, loving kindness is one of the meditation techniques that I, that I teach. Um, it's been very healing, really, really transformative to do this practice over, over many years. And uh, heal some of that self-hatred and actually start to uh, experience that that sense of friendship towards oneself like like I've got my own back you know that's a really good feeling yeah absolutely I, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a very very powerful meditation when I was in Nepal studying with Tibetan monks that was one of them that they had had you do and I and I love that image and that practice and I haven't practiced that one in a long time uh, but I I remember how powerful it was to imagine sending it out and then realizing how much support I actually had and just allowing that to come in because a lot of us are very encouraging to our friends and our family mm -hmm. and we want the best for them and we see their potential and we're like you got this you can do this you know we're in your corner and we're, we're ready to give everything for the people we love to support them yet in your own mind and what you feel is like you kind of feel isolated sometimes you feel like you aren't good enough that you can't do it that you're lacking in some way that you're yeah. not this perfect ideal and when you switch it and you imagine them cheering you on with that same love and compassion and force it really is a very empowering experience and it allows you to go forward you know having your cup full you know mm. i love that that example is you you, you want to go and, and do good in the world and you want to make a positive impact yet you're not at a state emotionally physically and uh intellectually where you're you're feeling good so you're going around and, you know, you have the quote unquote bad vibes or you're not feeling great. And so you're not able to share that um, inspiring vision or energy or communication with anyone because you just don't feel well. And that's why it's such an important practice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I do have a, I do have a question that I wanted to ask. I wasn't sure if you wanted to make a comment, but you you have a degree in comparative religion, and I last year went to the Parliament of World Religions for the first time. Uh, I went with a Native American elder. Uh, they spoke, and I there was over 220 distinct faiths. And I just imagined a child or an or an extraterrestrial coming down and saying, "Which one do I choose? Which is the right mm -hmm. one? You know, which mm -hmm. what are these doing?" And what I, I wrote an article about it. And one of the things that I kind of distinguish was some religions they 
when they were more religious and, and things that I didn't really uh, like align with where they have a, a set of rules and then a really heavy consequence or reward for the afterlife, right? That to me is more binding and more religious and, and I don't resonate with it that much, but you can believe whatever you want to believe. I also believe that very mm -hmm. strongly. The other idea is more like an ideology. And this is where, you know, there's a little bit more like Confucianism and, and Buddhism and Taoism. It's like, you can believe what you want. This is more like, these are guidelines and do your best to be in these guidelines. You're probably going to have a greater connection with that force, with that power. And they don't give you that same kind of uh, consequence or reward. And being in a podcast in religion and spirituality, you know, religion is still very strong today. And they've done a lot of things in the past that I don't agree with. You know, you look at the witch burnings, you look at what they did to the Native Americans, you look at, um, I had a uh, bio Akamalafe on, and uh, I don't, I think he's episode like, I can't remember, but check him out. Really smart guy from, I think he was Nigeria. I'd have to check it out. But he just talked about how the assimilation came in and the school systems with the religions when their culture is so old and we're trying to help them by yeah. taking away their culture and their history. And, and that to me, you know, as it, I don't know how to say wrong, but probably not ideal, not, not, it, it's not congruent. You know, I'm trying to use, mm -hmm. it's like the right and right. It's just, it's not great. So I'm just curious, what did you, what did you learn from studying all these different religions? What are your thoughts on God and, and how do we um, combine these things where it's my thought process is believe what you want to believe. If you want to be a Christian, you know, be a great Christian, whatever the case may be, just, we need to have this open set of, of communication with other idea sets, with other views, with other ways of mm -hmm. being, because these conflicts can be pretty intense and, yeah. and that's holding on to a way it's not see, again, seeking understanding, because I think that there's something beautiful in all of them. And the most beautiful point to me is the communities, you mm -hmm. know, church is community. It's the people that make it beautiful. And I want to respect all the people and their beliefs and, and, and what they do to create a connection with spirit or God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Um, yeah. Big questions, huh? Big questions. Um, so I think it's important to distinguish between say the core tenets of a religion and how that religion gets used and abused by political power. And I think that one of the things that we see throughout history is often the, the misuse and abuse of religion um, for uh, political and economic gain. Um, and not not exclusively, but most of the violence that's done in the name of religion um, has a pol political or economic motive. And so, for me, there's something very important in in distinguishing between what what we might call the essence of a religion and um, how that uh, how those religious beliefs um, then get uh, co-opted or used. Uh, by a political power or a society to advance uh, a certain agenda, whether whether it's uh, an agenda of genocide in terms of you know the early United States um, 
or what we saw in Australia with the government and Aboriginals where people are robbed of their, their culture and their language as a way of trying to decimate their power as a people. And that's done in the name of religion, right? We will convert you uh, based on ideas of supremacy and so forth. So that, that's important uh, to me. I think that there are uh, certain, certain religions um, are more or less prone to misinterpretation or violence based on the way the religion is structured. But, but that doesn't mean that any religion can't be used uh, to promote violence or misused. It, we see it even with the Buddhist religion, which is like one of the most peaceful religions on the planet. You know, the whole ethos, the guiding principles is around non-harming and wishing well towards all living creatures. And yet still we see, you know, that the tragedy that's happening in Burma with certain sects of Buddhism, again, using the religion for political motives against the Rohingya, or we see it in Sri Lanka, where a subset of the Buddhist majority is using the religion to oppress uh, the Hindu minority in Sri Lanka. Um, I, so I think that what's, what's important in all of this is dialogue, just to bring it back to communication, which is, are we able to understand one another? Are we able to actually have a conversation in, uh, between religions, across religions, where we can speak about the views uh, and the framework and the faith that animates the religion, the core principles behind it, and come to some mutual understanding. And in order for that to happen, um, it requires a certain level of, of humility and a certain kind of empathy where I am interested in understanding you, you who are different from me, you who have a different worldview, a different religion. I wanna, I wanna learn to understand you, not just in the way that I see you, but in the way that you see yourself. Can I actually understand your, um, your system of thought and belief from within in the way that you see it? And to go one step further, can I start to understand how you see me? Can I see myself through your eyes? If I'm a Jew, can I see what, what, what that means and what that looks like to someone who is Christian or who is Muslim or who is Baha'i or who is, uh, has an indigenous faith tradition and, and so forth? So this is, this is the task of interreligious dialogue, of actually having these conversations. And those conversations depend on creating conditions of trust and mutual respect. That's the only way that we can have those kinds of conversations. And, you know, religion can be a force for uh, violence and destruction and um, uh, oppression. You know, Marx said religion is the opiate of the masses. It can be misused in that way. It can also be a tremendous force for peace if it's used in the proper way. And if the, uh, the religion is understood and interpreted uh, towards those ends, and that really depends on the intentions behind the person who's, who's preaching the religion. Yeah, that's a really wonderful answer. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with the idea of open communication and, and seeking, again, one of your previous points, to seek understanding, you know, to, to not to impose your belief. It's just to seek an understanding and fully, 
you know, in as many spectrums as you can. So it opens up a dialogue because you're probably going to learn something more and you can allow ideally that person to have their belief and, and, and view set and still connect with them in a way on a human level where you, you know, it hopefully it gets to the idea. It's like, it's just a different sports team. You know, you prefer your sports team win and, and that's what you relate to a little bit more. Um, however, you can still be really close friends with, with somebody who, you know, cheers for another team other than if they're in the finals or something. Um, so I'm curious about, this is a little bit more uh, intense a question, I guess, but did you notice any very similar storylines? You know, if you look at a lot of the religious storylines, like some of them seem to have very uh, similar storylines. And did you, how do you feel about the validity of the storylines and where these come from? Like, did you see one is like, Oh, you know, why are, why are these four storylines similar? You know, mm -hmm. I, I found that in, in my own research anyway, mm -hmm. and I know you'd have a lot better gauge on it. And do you believe in God in the way that, in, in any way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so two, two different questions there. Um, so I've, I've actually done less kind of research and um, comparative studies in terms of the sort of cosmology or the, you know, storylines of different religions. I think that, you know, Joseph Campbell is sort of the uh, the kind of fam most famous leader of that kind of analysis. And he certainly points to the common myths in many cultures, which often show up in religions. Um, there are many, many religions and cultures have, for example, have uh, a flood, a story of the flood. And so, you know, I'm not a historian, but, you know, anyone with some measure of common sense would look at that and say, gee, here are all these different religions and cultures around the world that all have a story of a massive flood. There was probably a really big flood somewhere in, in human history, right? Uh, many, um, many religions uh, talk about um, kind of there being darkness and creation coming out of darkness in some way. You see that in the Buddhist tradition. You see it in the Judeo-Christian tradition. So again, you know, this, I'm I'm more of an agnostic when it comes to these kinds of questions. I'm, my personal position is more well, who knows? You know, who knows what what's true and what what actually happened and where these stories come from if they're based in some actual kind of material truth or if they point more to some sort of common uh, structure in the human psyche that, you know, we're drawing from some deeper layers of consciousness that then get projected into story in a similar way because we're all human. I, I, I don't really know, um, but I, I tend to just try to keep an open mind. Um, you know, my orientation based on my own practice of Buddhism is, is very much around uh, pragmatics and saying, well, how do we live this life in a way that's meaningful? How do we improve our conditions and humanity and how do we stop suffering? And if answering that question is going to help us stop suffering, then great. Um, if it's going to go in the opposite direction or if it's just going to be a waste of energy, um, Personally, I, I, I'm less, I get less interested in what's true versus this versus that versus how does it apply to our life. 
Um, that said, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of value in exploring these questions because they're such important questions for so many millions of people, right? Religions, you know, uh, billions of people on the planet have such firm beliefs. And if we are able to make connections, if we are able to draw parallels uh, that maybe illuminate some more universal principles, there's a lot of potential for that in bringing about um, more harmony and peace on the planet. Then um, you also asked about about God. You want to just re reframe that question? I think I lost the thread of it. Yeah. Well, first I'll just say I, I appreciate the way that you shared your answer. It's a it's a it's a good answer. Um, it's a it's a really big question. You know, millions of people have very strong beliefs and and yeah some of them are so close it's like they're believing the same thing but it's just separated by language or you know mm -hmm. it, it's not the greatest way to put it um but it's just like at one point it's who uh believes in santa claus versus who believes in the easter bunny only in the way that we just can't prove it with hard proof you know mm -hmm. so it's more of a historical uh, you know, story that you're believing in. And the challenge I see, because I get a lot of emails from people and uh, they're just like, you know, thank you. I was in so-and-so religion and, and I couldn't see outside of that. You know, some people were saying, you know, we were taught hypnosis and meditation was evil. And I'm just like, what? Like that is some, that's wild, you know, and because we're, the structure in studying hypnosis and mass hypnosis, you know, it's a powerful structure to keep a mind in a certain way. That's my view anyway. Then going to the Parliament of World Religions of 220 different faiths, you know, looking at a group of like 10, uh, you know, young people who've never experienced a religion. It's like, go pick one. How do you, how do you pick the right one? What's the right, right one? Right. Like, you know, it's more, I think of a guiding principle. I think sure. he's a great thing. And I think, uh, a lot, you know, religion has a lot of capability of doing a lot of great things. And it also, we have, we're facing some yeah. challenges with these very old beliefs that in the past and currently are causing a lot of harm as well. So mm -hmm. the question that I had um, was just do, in your research, did it, did it allow you to increase your faith in God, like add God mm -hmm. and how you perceive that mm -hmm. or um, maybe eliminate it. And I'll just add that, you know, for me, when I did more intuitive work, more meditation, I was studying, you know, consciousness, meditation, psychic powers, all that thing that increased my belief mm. in God for myself, not as a bearded man, as I was taught in Christianity, but of a force that all uh -huh. things were connected to. Yeah, 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 beautiful. Well, there's there's that question. There's the other one that you asked that I, I want to start with because I think it's a beautiful question, which is how do you decide with all these, you know, for we live in this time today in 2019 where there's this level of access to information and in not all, but many parts of the world, a new kind of freedom that we've that humanity's never known before where I can actually choose my religion, right? Um, that's unheard, That was unheard of for you know, generations. So um, I think doing research is really important, learning about the different religions. I think meeting people who, um, who practice that religion and uh, getting a sense of what's it done for them is really important. Um, but I think ultimately one has to listen to the heart and, and really trust uh, what speaks to you. I like to think about different religions as being different languages. 
and they're all they're different languages of the heart. And um, each of us needs to find the language that speaks to our own heart. And so for me, I was I was born and raised Jewish. I still feel a very strong connection to the Jewish faith uh, in terms of my ancestors and culture. Um, but that language didn't speak to my spirit, at least not the way I, I learned it growing up. And there are cultural and historical reasons for that in terms of the Holocaust and the loss of kind of knowledge and uh, practices that happened uh, during that period. But when I first learned some of the Buddha's teachings, that really spoke to my heart. It was just like it made sense intuitively. And there was something inside that said, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. This makes sense. This is, this is speaking a truth that I have known all along. And so I think that for each of us, if we're looking for a path, we need to make sure that it speaks to our heart and um, as, uh, as Jack Kornfield says, quoting Carlos Castaneda, that the path itself has a heart. There's, that there's a, um, a deep value in the path that we can sense, whatever that religion or path is. Uh, in terms of God, I think like you kind of pointed to, it depends on how one defines that term. You know, it's what's, what's the definition to say, I believe in God. Well, what does that mean? Or what is, what is the God that you believe in? Um, so again, I think this, this might be a little bit of a cop out, but I don't, I don't have, I don't take a position on it because I don't know, you know, I definitely, um, I, there's no doubt in my mind that, um, there are forces in this universe that we have no idea about as human beings, that there's so much more going on than we can perceive with our ordinary five senses. Um, so, uh, you know, who, who knows what's, uh, what's out there, other kinds of beings, um, gods, angels, deities, who, who knows? Um, I, 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 I tend to believe that uh, the universe has goodness at its core. I can't point to any evidence for that other than my own intuition and my own sense of deep knowing um, that there's, there's something in existence in the very kind of structure of, of life and awareness and existence that is good. Um, I recognize that that might just be a belief that I find comforting psychologically, and I'm okay with that. Um, and and I also, um, I guess you could say I believe, um, I, I have a sense from certain experiences I've had in meditation that, uh, and and from what we know through modern science, that everything is connected nothing is actually separate and that the the sense of isolation that we experience as individuals is actually an illusion and that that sense of isolation is something that's created through thinking and through the through the mind but that in a very real and in a very deep way uh, we are not separate from anything we're not separate from the trees or from the sun or from the soil or the rain or one another or the whales in the ocean or the birds in the sky that all of that is 
is is we are part we're all part of the same um kind of net of energy and matter and and awareness and so you know some people might call that god if so, if so then yeah i believe in god uh, other people might call that life or reality or the biosphere um i think it's it's you know, less important what you call it and, and more important that you have some taste of it and some awareness and appreciation of it because it, it transforms how you live. Um, because then we don't feel so alone uh, or so scared and we treat one another differently. When we have that understanding that you and I are not separate, that our worst enemy um, shares something profound with our mother and our sister and our child and our our, our lover uh, that changes the way we relate to to life and to one another and that that's really important to me beautifully put i was just making a note in there that what you said kind of triggered at the end that uh with with quality communication comes respect it's respect mm -hmm. for fellow human being. It's you yeah. know, respect for their view and their way of life and, and all of that. And I think that's a really beautiful and important thing moving forward for all of us. So this whole entire podcast has been wonderful, very practical insights. Um, I appreciate you taking on the big questions and, uh, you know, and, and coming on and just what you're doing in the world. And, and I feel like the way that you shared it today, it's even more important than I realized that we culturally learn how to learn to communicate better in a better way, in a more meaningful way. And it has power to transform an individual just from learning or just from anything. If you want to, you know, you, you're asking big questions in your life, learn how to be a great listener and it's going to help that. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, is there anything that you wish that I had asked you and um, anything you want to close with? And I'll just ask a bonus question, uh, your top tip for living a good life. Cause you've, you know, you've done lots of study, lots of meditation. You're, you know, you know what you're talking about. So just summarize one, one tip. Yeah. Right on, man. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a pause here. Cause that's a good question. And I want to give an answer that's going to be meaningful. So uh, top tip for living a good life. Well, I'll just tell you what's coming to me right now, um, which is to feel what's happening. Feel what's happening. I think that too many of us spend our lives uh, living in the future or the past, uh, living in the world of our thoughts, and we miss the actual experience of being alive. And I think if we can feel, and that just doesn't mean emotions, that means the the complete experience of having a body and a mind, the more we can feel what it is to be alive, um, the, the more we learn. We actually appreciate the richness of being here. Um, and my, my own um, belief and, and experience is that when we are able to feel uh, fully, in a balanced way, our moment-to-moment -moment experience in life—that's uh, where—that's where learning and wisdom are, are born. Is that the heart actually matures through experience? But we need to show up for it. We actually have to feel it. 
And uh, so much in our society today is pointing away from being present, away from actually feeling things, because it's not all pleasant. You know, feeling being alive means feeling the pain. It means feeling the fear. It means feeling the loss. All of that is part of being alive. But if we can include that, if we can actually widen our heart enough to hold and handle the whole range of our experience, uh, we find a different kind of freedom and peace inside. Beautiful. Love it. I'm glad I threw in that bonus question. So if people want to dive in deeper about your work, get connected, where can they find you? Yes. Uh, my website, orinjsofer.com. You can sign up for my email newsletter. It comes with a free guided meditation series and a short ebook on meditation practice. Uh, you can also find me on social media at orinjsofer. I would be happy to hear from you and stay in touch. And uh, all my information on retreats and workshops and my book is on my website, orangejsofer.com. Right on, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, for your work, for everything that you shared. I, I sincerely appreciate it and wish you all the best. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Matt. My pleasure. See you guys. Thanks for listening. See you in the next episode. Orange J. Sofer, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed that podcast. I know that for me, it was really actually a masterclass in the art of communication and it's so simple but it's interesting how you know we forget myself is I guess what I'm saying I forget all the time these simple things um, but to remember each and every day and how these simple tools for communication can really transform your life so I really enjoyed this episode if you did please share it on Facebook tag your friends talk about it at the water cooler leave a review on iTunes support on Patreon even a, a buck like something you're not even going to think about it trust me it goes a long way um, so um, go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair for those of you guys who are interested in coaching and you want to explore more about consciousness personal development peak performance um, uncovering your life purpose mindfulness mindfulness in the workplace everything with you know whether it's breath technique pineal gland all the metaphysical stuff if you want to really cut through that and get to the meat and potatoes of what works how to empower yourself your life your community your family and you want some support hit me up matt at zenathlete.com will happily help out you your organization or whatever you bring forth would love to work with you so hit me up let me know um i think that wraps it up i want to thank everybody who supported the show all my patrons everyone who's left a podcast everybody everybody who's left a review i appreciate you thank you procabulary.org for sponsoring the show go to procabulary.org use the checkout code word magic it is a fantastic course to really harness the power of language it really is a critical course to be taking if you are in the personal development field i love it check out episode 96 with myself and mark england sure hope it's 96 because i keep saying that um, but we do a deep dive on the course and i know that you're going to get a lot of value from it so check it out Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, let's wrap this up by coming into a state of peace and coherence. So wherever you are, just stop what you're doing. Taking a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. Now just let it out slowly. Filling yourself with joy, peace, contentment, empowerment, confidence, connection, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening. And I will see you in the next episode.